0: How many of you are familiar with um, a dispute between Georgia and Tennessee about the border? Anyone familiar with that? Good. I I didn't know about it until a little while ago, but every so often, Georgia brings this case up in court. You know people sue for the funniest things, and they go to court over the strangest things, but Georgia goes to court every now and then, it seems like, against Tennessee, and they want the border moved. And their claim is that when Tennessee and the surveyors were coming out and marking the boundaries, that those surveyors, they, they drifted. And they drifted south about a half mile. And so the border is about a half mile too low, and that really ought to be moved up. Probably has nothing to do with the Tennessee River being about a half mile north of Georgia's border. Uh, that really is what's going on. They want the water supply. Atlanta got populated, and so now they've got this water supply that they can't quite get their hands on. And so they go to court every now and then to move, move the border. Eh, never really comes to anything. There's not really any way to prove that sort of a case. It's so well marked on all the maps you can buy in the world that, well, I just don't see how they could get it done anyhow. But that's a story they tell. And you know, it would be ever so tempting if I lived in Georgia, if I was the governor there and I was going up for re-election and I wanted to have something, something to put on my docket, I'd say, well, I'm going to court about this border thing. I'm going to get it moved. I'm going to get you new water. I'm going to get you better supply. It'd be tempting to do that. Tonight we're going to talk about moving borders. Moving borders. Moving borders. When God made a covenant with His people back in, uh, in the time of Exodus and Deuteronomy and those places, when God made His covenant with them, He talked to them about a lot of different things about life. And if you've looked at all at that, you know that just about every piece of their life is covered under that law. What they should do in nearly every situation and how they ought to act. One thing that He dealt with in especially had to do with the boundary markers for their land. If you look at Deuteronomy 19 and verse 14, you're going to find just one statement there. Deuteronomy 19 and verse 14. And curiously enough, what follows it is something about witnesses in court. And giving a false testimony. And so here he says in Deuteronomy 19 verse 14, you shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark, which the ancestors have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God gives to you or gives you to possess. And so the boundary markers, these are things like perhaps a giant stone or a pile of stones that they'd set up so that when you came to it, you knew you were at the end of your land and the beginning of your neighbor's land. You knew where you could plow. You knew where you shouldn't plow. Uh, And so it's kind of like a fence today. It's a lot like a fence today. But they had these boundary markers. In Deuteronomy 27, 17, there's the same idea, but it's put in a list of curses in a list of curses. Remember, when the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan, Joshua, had them line up, half of them on Mount Ebal, half of them on Mount Gerizim, and they recited the blessings and the cursings. And at Mount Ebal, they recited curses. That if you did certain things, you would be cursed. And Deuteronomy 27 verse 17 says, Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. And all the people shall say, Amen. And so when all the people went into the land of Canaan, they agreed to these things. There's many of them that you can see. But especially tonight, they agreed not to move the boundaries, marking the end of their land. Changing the boundary results in more belonging to you and less belonging to your neighbor unless you do it wrong. Moving the boundary is a form of theft. It's a form of theft. You're taking land useful for growing crops or maybe there's a well, right Warren? Maybe there's a well just on the other side of the fence that, uh, that you want to get access to. And so you just push that boundary out a little bit and there you have your new place. Well, no matter the reason, moving the boundary is one of the actions which resulted in the full force of of the curse of God's law coming down on you. In Hosea chapter 5, God describes the people of Israel. And I'd encourage you to turn over to Hosea chapter 5. He describes the children of Israel in verse 2 as having gone into deep depravity. In verses 3 and 4, He says, they've played the harlot spiritually To the point that they cannot return. That's the idea of of a seared conscience. One that just simply can't tell right from wrong anymore. Because you've been running into the depravity, into the sinfulness so hard and without any remorse. so long. 1 Timothy 4 verse 2 talks about those who have seared consciences. Who lead people astray. God says in verse 3 that their deeds will not allow them to return to their God. That's very interesting to me. Our deeds, our own deeds influence us. Our own deeds influence who we will be, who we will turn into, Their deeds, he says, will not allow them to return to God. But then he says something that looks back to the time before they entered the promised land to Mount Ebal where the people agreed to the curses. Look at Hosea 5 and, and verse 10. He says, The princes of Judah have become like those who move a boundary. On them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to follow man's command. And so God uses the image of a man who goes to the boundary marker and moves it to satisfy his own desires. It's an image of thievery, of dishonesty, and that image reflects the way the princes of Judah had treated God. They were changing God's laws to suit their own desires. The boundaries, God said, are not to be moved. Boundaries are there as a standard to show you where your property ends and where the property of another begins. You cross the boundary and you begin to trespass where you ought not to be. They were like those who moved the boundaries. Not physical boundaries, but spiritual ones in this case. They were moving the boundaries of God's law to fit their desires And notice verse 11, he says, Ephraim, who was determined to follow man's command, was oppressed and crushed in judgment. They chose to move the boundaries of God's law to obey man's command, to maintain what they desired, and they received the curse for it. They were crushed in judgment for moving God's boundaries. There's a lot of people today who would like to move the boundary. Not just would like to, but they are. But before we get to today, we need to realize that this was going on in the Old Testament times. We just read that. New Testament times. The, te- the days Jesus walked on the earth. Look at Mark chapter 7, around verse 6. It's a familiar text, I think. Mark 7, verse 6. He's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes of his generation. And he says to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me and listen to the moving of the boundary, teaching as doctrines. That is teaching as the command of God, the precepts of man. Why was Ephraim judged? Because they wanted to hold so tightly to the command of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, he says, you hold to the tradition of man. He was also saying to them, you're experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And then he gives them one example. One way that they were doing this. And it was about honoring their father and mother. Moses wrote that in the law. Of course, the law came from God. But honor your father and mother. And it says, he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you've handed down. And you do many things such as that. Now that Corbin stuff may be foreign to us, but imagine it this way. Imagine that I've got a case full of hundred dollar bills about like this size and this size. And I've got it sitting in my living room and I set it down and I open it up. And every now and then I glance at that money and I think, oh, what great money that is. And then mom and dad get sick. Mom and dad fall on hard times and they need some help from their son. And so they call me and they, they say, Eli, we need some help. We've got some medical bills. We need help paying. We need a place to stay. We need to do all these things. And I just look at them and I say, well, I, you know, I would, but I don't have any money. All the while, stroking those bills, sitting next to me, I would love to, but I don't have any money. And they say, well, but we've seen the pictures of your box of money. We know that it's there. And I say, oh, that's for the Lord's work. That's for the Lord's work. I've dedicated that money to the Lord's work. I can't help you. You see how misunderstood that is? The Lord's work is honoring your father and your mother. That's the mistake that they made. They misunderstood. They twisted it somewhere along the way so that they could get out of what they didn't feel like doing. They moved the boundary, you see. They moved the boundary and he says, you do many things such as that. He gave them one, but he could have spent a long time listing out all of the ways they'd moved the boundaries all the places that they'd shifted what God had said. And He said they were experts at it. That practice didn't, be, didn't end when the church began. I would love to think that it did. Wouldn't that be nice if when Jesus established the church, we finally figured out not to move the boundaries, to leave them where they are, and not, not to shift them just a, a hair. But in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, another very familiar passage. Paul writes to them saying, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You know what distorting is? That's a word for moving the boundaries. You're changing it. And then he goes on and he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. So you notice the link between the Old and New Testaments there? Isn't that a cool thing? In the Old Testament on Mount Ebal, they had the curses that were pronounced and one of the curses was about moving the boundary. God applies it in a spiritual sense to the princes of Judah and Hosea. And in the New Testament, what does Paul do with the authority of Christ? pronounces a curse on those who would move the boundaries of the gospel. Those who would change any piece or part of it, a curse is pronounced on them. And yet, many, even still today, are continuing to move the boundaries of God's word. They're continuing to to rationalize just a small shift here and a small shift there. I'll give you one example. One that that we understand and we would agree all together on. The boundary of baptism. The boundary of baptism as the event where salvation is applied to the penitent soul seeking forgiveness was long understood and maintained as a boundary But slowly and ever so gradually it's been moved. Over the years. Remember Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, that familiar passage: repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Really a plain passage. It's so plain that there's been scholars who believe differently, who've spent countless hours trying to say it doesn't say what it obviously does say. But you know, the boundary, it was moved, it began... uh, I can think that baptism doesn't have to be immersion. Baptism, well... It doesn't have to be immersion. It could be sprinkling or pouring of water on the head. But you still have to do it. Still have to be baptized, surely. And then that old hypothetical, well, what if I'm on my deathbed? And, and you know, I'm on the way to being baptized. They're carrying me in the ambulance. The lights are going and I'm rushing through every red light. And all of a sudden, Cosmaco, Somebody ends my life on the road. Surely I'd be saved then, right? I mean, I was—I was going, I was going. Well, what if? What? If, well, maybe I'm just a good person. I sincerely worship God, but I'm not baptized. Well, surely then you could be saved, but it might be a good idea to get baptized. After all, it's in the Bible. You know, I've heard that stuff, and then you hear hear some guys if you accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior, just say a prayer. Just think it hard enough. And in He'll come and He'll wash away your sins. And you can be saved without baptism. And really, baptism, it's not necessary at all. And anyone who would claim it is, well, they're they're just kind of pharisaical, don't you think? Requiring such an old relic from such an old time? I suppose it couldn't possibly hold the power of the blood of Christ, could it? And as Jesus said, they do many things such as this. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful about looking at things that we all agree with. It's good to make a point in a sermon that way. That means uh, uh, afterward you'll say Amen, or or you'll you'll. You'll let me, uh, let me know I did a good job because we agreed with it. Uh, the tougher points come when there's a man-made thing that we just won't let go of that's keeping us from doing what God says. I don't know of a thing like that here right now. But it's important we keep a watch for it. Because I think it's natural for us to find those things. After all, they did it in the Old Testament, New Testament, in the church, even today. It's easy for us to get caught in that. Because all it takes is doing what you would like to do and saying what you would like to say. And claiming that God is all right with it too, even if He's not. You know, as you think about what's going on in religion today, you could take the list of Galatians five nineteen through 21. That's the works of the flesh. You could list those out and there is a church that would accept you and, and promote you in that for every single one of them. You talk about lying, drunkenness, homosexuality, idolatry, greed, orgies, every other thing that's on there. There's a church for every single one. You could go and you could find the one that's going to let you do that and you'd say, boy, that feels really good. You see, the reason that we do that... We do that so that we can avoid our conscience... And there's some some discussions I've had with guys who are smarter than me who talk about this sort of thing, asking why do members of the church lose their minds? And one of the answers was that they know right from wrong. And their conscience eats them alive. Because they just won't do what's right. And so they sit and they toss and they turn at night And they toss and they turn in the day. I don't know what people hope to be saved from when they move the boundary so far into Satan's territory that he evidently doesn't have any left. When you move it so far to his fence line that you've essentially wiped him out of the territory... And allowed all the darkness to be joined in with God's light? I don't know what folks hope to be saved from by being a member of the church at all. What do they need forgiveness for if all those things are allowed? I wonder. It was gradual. Started with a small minor change. A few inches off the boundary. Certainly won't be noticed, will it? For us we we are thinking very seriously and planning and and looking around, searching for elders, aren't we? Wouldn't it be all right if we just had you know most of the qualities? Wouldn't it be all right if there was I mean, he's got all of them, but that one? He'd probably do a really good job, wouldn't he? we need to remember to ask the question, did God set the boundary? Or didn't He? God set the boundary for us. Regarding who would be an elder in His church, He set the boundary very clear, very plainly. We need to be extra careful. Because moving the boundary in any subject for the church creates a disaster. But for us, that's the one we're facing now. Will you move the boundary so that the men that you are friends with or that you like could serve as an elder or will you maintain the boundary that God set up and encourage growth? You see, that's, that's what happens. If you move the boundary to make things a little more forgiving, a little easier than God desired them, you stunt growth. But when you maintain what He has provided, there will be men who rise to meet that call. Who look at themselves and see the shortcomings because the boundary has been maintained. And they say, I know what I need to do and what I need to fix. I know where I need to grow. And they grow. Keeping the boundary where it's supposed to be encourages growth not just in men who want to be elders, but in women, in children, in every Christian who will ever exist. There are a lot of things I'd be doing differently if God said it was right. And I suppose you can take that however you want. But when He sets the boundary, that teaches me where I need to be. And that's an important sort of clarity to have when eternity is on the line. God set the boundary... He said it very clearly in black and white. And we need to be sure that we are watchful so that the boundary doesn't get moved. And so that if someone begins to move a stone one way or the other, that we can help them put that stone back where it needs to be. Because we want to honor God. The sad thing is that there are some who would love to serve God, but they've been taught using an incorrect boundary line. They've been taught using an incorrect boundary line and deceived into honoring that false boundary. A preacher, a teacher, an influential member, a father, a mother, a close friend, Someone moved God's boundary to suit their desires and now someone is being deceived. We need to be boundary correctors. We need to be boundary maintainers. There's a verse that I'll read. You already know where it fits in this whole line of thought. It's 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul warns Timothy about a time that would come. And he says, There's a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. Do you notice the future tense of that statement? It... It was happening in Timothy's day, surely. But he says it's not going to get better necessarily. It's going to continue happening. That's what moving the boundaries sounds like. Believing the myths and the lies willingly because they say what I want them to say. And so it frees my conscience. It's our job to be true to the original boundary. God said it in the New Testament So set aside the traditions, or at least be willing to. Set aside your sins, surely, and be satisfied walking within God's boundary. He's made it clear, and he's made it very clear that there is no excuse to walk outside of it, and that on the judgment day, you will want to be within it. The question tonight is, are you walking within the boundaries God has set? Are you walking within the boundaries God has set? Those who have not obeyed the gospel, you are outside the boundaries of God's kingdom tonight. Because you can't get into His land without obeying the gospel. If you desire entrance, you must put Christ on in baptism. That's baptism by immersion for the forgiveness of sins. You must seek that forgiveness in baptism and you have to decide to obey Him from that point onward. Not that you'll be flawless, but that that is your desire. That it's your desire to maintain the boundaries and walk within them, not to run beyond them. And if you're a Christian tonight, but you've moved God's boundary to ease your conscience, realize that you're not easing your conscience, you're searing your conscience. Moving those stones allows you to think that what God calls sin is what God calls right. And that begins the searing process. You start training your conscience to think that wrong is right. If you've been doing that, realize that you're not truly safe The boundary doesn't move. God's got a map that doesn't change, you see. He set it down very clearly. And even if you try to change it, it maintains the same. Jesus said in John 12, 48, that His Word is what will judge on the last day. That Word shows us where it's safe to walk. That Word shows us where it's good to walk. Where we'll find blessing where we'll find every good thing and fellowship with Christ and each other. And so if you need to repent tonight and replace the boundary, this is the right time. This is the time to put it back. And so if you have a need tonight, we ask that you please come forward and make it known as we stand and sing.